When was your first grade school crush? If you will, take a trip down memory lane with me. I was in second grade and I was at Boswell Elementary School and I remember walking into the very first day of class. And when I walked in, this brown-haired, blue-eyed girl caught my attention. I mean, she wore a bear in the big blue house backpack and had a tooth missing when she smiled. And I'm not making this up, but this girl's name, her name was Heaven. I'm serious about that. That really was her name. And we quickly became friends. We played at recess together. We sat at lunch together. Uh, We shared Teddy Grahams and vanilla icing together. We wrote jokes to each other. We called one another on the house phone most evenings. We held hands everywhere we went. I mean, we were inseparable, except there was still one issue. She wasn't my girlfriend. And so I decided it was time to ask that question on a note. Heaven, will you be my girlfriend? Circle yes or no. I folded it up. I looked across the classroom where she was sitting. And it was such a daunting task. It was such a long walk, which gave me plenty plenty of time to think. What if she won't sit with me at lunch anymore? I'm not sure if we're still going to share honey grams and vanilla icing together. Will I have the chance to marry her under the big dome jungle gym outside at recess? And I remember talking myself out of it and putting the note in my desk. And it sat there for about a week until one day I decided to stop with the excuses. And so I got the note. I awkwardly strolled to her table slid the note under her hand, and when she looked at me, I remember giving probably this awkward smile. And then I just took off running back to my desk. And for all you curious buttons out there, you're probably wondering what she said. And you might be thinking, well, she said no. But check out this picture. How could you say no to this cute, exuberant, obviously very joyful second grade kid. I think I'm wearing the alien costume from the men in black. I'm not sure, but I do remember being really excited about that costume. Anyway, heaven said yes. And it was the best week of my life up until that point, right? Eventually we found new crushes. And why do I tell you this story? Number one, I tell you the story for a laugh and to take a look at the power of excuses. In my case, I was fearful about heaven and I's experiences would be stripped away that built our friendship. But what would have happened if I never asked heaven to go out with me or to be my girlfriend? Probably nothing. I was in second grade. It wasn't that big of a deal. But the principle is still powerful here. You see, excuses are lies that are rooted in fear. And excuses come from so many different places. They feed our thought processes. They come from negative self-talk. They come from depression and anxiety. They come from toxic relationships, social media feeds, our insecurities. I mean, excuses come from everywhere. And as we enter into the new year, we're currently walking out of a year that was full of fear. And imagine with me, 
Where would you be this morning if you didn't spend so much of 2020 living in fear? I mean, fear can be crippling. Fear feeds our anxiety. Fear feeds our worry. Fear keeps us in our comfort zones and from experiencing life in a new way. Fear chains us down in the dark. Fear suppresses our ability to see our God-given purpose or to live life with purpose. And fear feeds our minds with lies that are rooted in fear. And these excuses or lies are like bricks that eventually build this massive wall and keep us from reaching our God-given potential or living out our purpose. And that wall becomes really, really difficult to break through. And that's exactly where Satan, and if you're not sure who that is, that's the enemy or the opponent of those who follow God. I mean, he wants to keep believers or keep us in spiritual bondage. I mean, he is the ruler of hell while God is the ruler of the kingdom of heaven. And Satan wants us to stay there because he doesn't want us to experience the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. And he knows that Jesus can break every chain. He can break the chain of fear. And today I'm excited as we wrap up this series, God with us. And to journey together as we discover that God really can overpower the excuses that keep us from living a life on purpose. And the book this morning that we're going to be looking at is the book of Exodus. It was written by Moses, who was a Jewish prophet, and Moses was responsible for leading the Israelites out of slavery under the Egyptian leader Pharaoh. And that is precisely what Exodus is. It's the story of God's deliverance of Israel through Moses and eventually the life that would come after. And so here's a rapid timeline for you. In chapter 1, we see Israel. They are oppressed under the new Egyptian leader, Pharaoh. In chapter 2, we finally meet this baby boy named Moses. So fast forward many years, and Moses notices an Egyptian beating one of his own people, a Hebrew. And so in a rage, Moses decides, I'm going to murder this Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew, and I'm going to hide him in the sand. Out of all places, he just buries him in the sand. And so fearful, and rightfully so, fearful of Pharaoh's punishment, Moses decides to flee Egypt. And so Moses is just chilling in the middle of the wilderness, in the middle of the desert. He's been there for 40 years, and Scripture tells us that he's very content. Like he's content in raising his family. And then an angel, or God, appears to Moses in the form of a burning bush, which Moses observes is not burning up, and God captures Moses' attention. And here's where we pick up in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4. It says, When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look at this bush, God called him from within it. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And right here we see the beginning of a dialogue between God and Moses that is about to change Moses' life. And notice that Moses calls, or God calls Moses by name, not just once, but twice. So here's a question I have for you. Imagine with the, can you imagine the turmoil that Moses had for 40 years? What he defined himself as. Man, I'm a terrible person. I murdered someone. I just can't shake this identity crisis. But to much of Moses' surprise, Moses or Moses doesn't hear God say, Hey, you murderer, the one in the middle of the wilderness. I want to get your attention. No, Moses 
hears God say, Moses, I know you and I love you. And so my question for you is, how have you defined yourself in the year of 2020? A liar? An addict? Worthless? Maybe stupid? And we all desire for someone to know our name and who we are despite our past. And we can take comfort in the fact that the God of the universe knows your name and he cares deeply for you despite your history. And the dialogue continues. Check out in verse 5. God says, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And so God is starting this conversation by helping Moses realize where he is standing. I mean, was there anything special about the specific dirt that Moses is, is standing on? I don't think so. God was saying, wherever you go, I am present. I will be there. I am by your side. And where I am, I am always to be revered or honored. Uh, now, I don't think we have to walk barefoot everywhere we go. But having the understanding that wherever we go, God is present. Whether we are at work, whether we are at home, at school, on vacation to the beach, which sounds really amazing right now, by the way, or my personal favorite, in the mountains, God is there. And we can remember that He is with us and that He is leading us. And a reminder that He is actually sovereign. He has control over it all. Check out Exodus 3, 6 as we continue. It says, Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And at this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. Remember that at this point, Moses had been in the wilderness for 40 years. And so at the very least, God had been silent for Moses, we can assume, at that time. And so Moses and the Israelites probably believed that God was dead. I mean, after all of the years of silence from God, and the Israelites, and the turmoil that they had gone through, and the hardships, I mean, this was an unprecedented revelation. God still knew what was going on. And we see that in verse 7. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. Did you catch that? Even though they believed God was silent, Scripture tells us that the whole time God had seen and He had heard His people. And these are a few things I think that are necessary for us to know as we move forward today is this. Number one, God knows you by name, despite your past. Number two, God is everywhere. And then number three, God cares. He hears you and he sees you, even though he may have seemed silent in the year of 2020. And so this God that cares, that loves us, that knows us by name, revealed to Moses what his plan was. And God had a huge task for Moses. But Moses responds with excuses. These are the lies that are rooted in fear. And what I'd like for us to do today is to look at the excuses that Moses responds with, which are common in our own lives, and see how God responds to him. The first lie that Moses gives, or the excuse that he believes, or the lie that he believes, he says, who am I? 
Moses starts by allowing his securities to define him. And I'd imagine that a lot of us use this excuse or we believe this lie because it's the easiest one to go to. Because the truth is, you and I, we know the deepest, darkest corners of our lives. The moment that God starts to call us into something more significant, we say, God, who am I? Do you even know my past? Maybe you struggle with addiction, or maybe you struggle with walking through a broken marriage and you believe that it's your fault. Or maybe you believe you've let so many people down, or you've hurt a lot of people. And we try to protect our deepest, darkest secrets in fear of people seeing or believing who we are. And the enemy wants us to believe, Satan wants us to believe that God sees us the way that we see us. And check out how God responds to Moses as, who am I? And God says, I will be with you. God is saying it's not about what you have done or your past. It's about who I am. And I will be with you. And remember that God knows us by name despite our past. And I know this to be true. Because when I sensed that God was leading me into full-time ministry... I thought to myself, God, you have no idea who you are calling into this task. I struggle with anxiety. I'm wrapped up with it. I struggle with porn addiction at the time. And I'm overcome and I cuss like a sailor. Like, who am I that you would be mindful of me to do this task? And God slowly revealed a truth to me through good people in his word that the God of the universe knew my name despite my past. And he said, we're going to overcome it together. And so when we are tempted to say, God, who am I? I don't think you know me. I think we can take confidence. I believe we can take confidence in the fact that the God of the universe loves you. That's who we are. Children who are loved by the most high God. Let's move on to lie number two. Moses essentially says, I don't know enough information. Moses was saying, I don't have enough information to convince the people that you're sending me to. I don't know that I have enough info. And I'm afraid of what they might do to me or think about me. I mean, does anyone else struggle with this one? That you struggle with feeling like you are inadequate or not smart enough. Maybe you feel stupid. Maybe you feel like you'll be forever ignorant. As if you have to fully understand God in order to successfully follow Him and be used by Him. And this one is impossible. And the reason why I say this is that none of us would ever be used by God if it rested solely on the amount of knowledge that we had. And maybe you are struggling to take that next step in following Jesus today. You feel less than, you feel inadequate, or God is calling you, you know that he's calling you into something bigger, and the inadequacy uh, lie comes up, or you feel like you just don't know enough. You feel like you have to impress God with your smarts. Or maybe you know someone who is a little bit more intelligenter. You see what I did there? I wasn't serious about there, but obviously it's not me. Check out how God responds to Moses' excuse. He says, I am who I am. And what in the world does this mean? I'd imagine Moses was like, yeah, God, like I am who I am too. This is weird. But what God was saying is that nothing defines 
who I am. And in this case, your smarts do not determine my ability to work through you. If I'm choosing to work through you, I'm going to do what I want to do. And I am God. I am present. I am alive. I am able. And I'm going to achieve what I want to achieve because I am who I am. And the, the enemy wants us to believe that God's effectiveness rests on our knowledge. And if that lie were truth, we'd all be in big trouble. Here's what I mean. We all can be dumb, but we're not stupid. Kind of like sheep. I mean, when it comes to sheep, they're not the most well-rounded creatures when it comes to smarts. A lot of the times they can be dumb, but it doesn't mean that they are stupid. And when it comes to us not feeling smart enough, it may have good reason. Let me explain. One of Jesus' seven I am statements, which are statements that Jesus used to explain or further describe the heart of God, one was that he said this, I am the good shepherd. And if Jesus is the good shepherd, then who are we? We're the sheep. And here's why sheep need a good shepherd. Number one, sheep don't have a good sense of direction. And here's a true story. Uh, In Turkey, 1,500 sheep fell off a cliff while the shepherds were eating breakfast. And the sheep in the back could not see past the sheep in the front. And so they just kept running forward and trusting the sheep in the front. The sheep in the front couldn't stop because the sheep in the back were continuing to push them forward, which ultimately led in 400 sheep dying, running off the side of a cliff, and the remaining sheep survived because of the impact of the 400 broke their fall. Sheep don't have a good sense of direction. Number two, sheep are defenseless. Number three, sheep are emotional. But they really calm down because they can respond to the voice of their shepherd. Number four, sheep will settle for less. If a sheep is walking down a trail, they see a bucket of water that's cleaner up front, but there's a dirtier bowl of water here. They will settle for this bowl of water without thinking about the reward of walking 20 extra steps. Number five, sheep, they just can't care for themselves when they're wounded. And if I reflect, these things sound a lot like me. And I can tend to focus on a lot of these without remembering one. Sheep were actually valuable. This is the last one. Sheep were extremely valuable in Jesus' day. And that truth still rings true today. None of us are smart enough. None of us are good enough, aware enough, altogether enough to earn right standing with God. And so God sent the good shepherd, Jesus, to die on the cross for the sheep so that we may have eternal life. And isn't it beautiful to know that we can have that weight lifted, that that responsibility doesn't rest on our shoulders. God already sees you as valuable. So let's be God's sheep. And all we have to do is respond to the sound of his voice. Line number three is this as we get ready to wrap up. Moses said, what if? Moses said, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And there are plenty of what ifs to go around, aren't there? I have heard this one more than anything and given this excuse more than anyone I know. But the other night, I want to give insight. Kayla and I, my wife, Kayla and I, were having a daily conversation where we talk about what she wants to do in the future after our kids grow older. And her passion that she has recently discovered is to 
make a difference in women's health when it comes to the products that they use and how they can have an effect or be harmful to their bodies. And so she was processing. And I could see the wheels turning a million miles an hour. And all of a sudden she said, I'm afraid because what if I fail? What if this isn't really what God wants me to do? And my response was, babe, I understand. And you are not alone in the what if line of thinking. But as long as you ask what if, followed by the negative, you will never jump in to find out. And every day we ask, what if? What if I'm a bad mom or dad? What if my significant other finds out about my past? What if I'm not gifted enough? What if I'm terrible at this job? What if I get hurt? And what if rests on our abilities? What if keeps us from journeying out of our comfort zone to see what God is able and willing to do? What if keeps us from growing as a person and discovering our purpose? And God's response to Moses' what if is, what is that in your hand? What? Like, what if God? And God says, what is that in your hand? But God instructed Moses to do these things with his hands. And first, it involves a staff that God instructed Moses to throw on the ground. And when it hit the ground, it would turn into a snake. And so when Moses did that, it turned into a snake. Moses jumped back, as I believe most of us would, because he was fearful. And then God said, I want you to grab the snake by the end of the tail. And so Moses did that, and it turned back into a staff. And then next, Moses said, I want you to put your hand in your cloak. And when he did it, he pulled it out, and his hand was full of leprosy. Just skin disease, looking nasty. And God instructed him to put it back in his cloak. And when he did, his hand was completely healed the second time. And God was saying, "Here, these are the things I want you to do. And your what if, you being worried about if they're going to be convinced that I sent you or not, this is what will prove to them that I have sent you. Do these things. And God followed through. Moses did exactly what he was commanded to do. The journey wasn't easy for Moses. And the journey's not easy for a lot of us. But God did exactly what he said he was going to do through Moses. He delivered the people out of Egyptian bondage. Moses might have had a bunch of excuses. But through his obedience, God said, I'm going to use you. And that's exactly what God did. So if God were to say this morning or today, what is in your hand? How would you respond? Just like Jesus multiplied a five small loaves of bread and two fish for thousands of people, he too can multiply the work that your hands will touch and do because of your obedience. I don't know about you, but I'd love to be a part of a miracle in 2021. We learned a lot in 2020. It's not that it wasn't valuable. 2020 taught us a ton. But the question is, will 2021 be full of excuses and lies? Or will 2021 be full of a movement and God doing something through us together and individually? Remember, excuses are just the lies that are rooted in fear. And today, God gives our lives purpose that is rooted in boldness. No longer do we have to worry about excuses rooted in fear, but we can live a life of purpose that is rooted in boldness. And God knows you by name despite your past God is always with you. We are standing on holy ground. And he is everywhere. We are seen and we are heard. 
Do we believe that this morning? Let's pray. God, we love you so much and we thank you so much for today. We thank you for sending your son and him being born of a virgin as we just recap what we celebrated at Christmas. And we thank you for sending a good shepherd. Jesus, we thank you for being the good shepherd. And despite our past, we know that you know us by name and you care and you are with us everywhere we go. So this morning as we move into 2021, I pray that we don't try to erase 2020, that we take what we've learned from it. And God, that you would do a mighty work in our lives individually in 2021 and as a church. God, we love you and we thank you for everything that you do. In your name we pray. Amen.